Welcome back, fine townsfolk, to another episode of Random Encounters. I'm Nick. I'm Matt. And here we are to discuss another random monster from a random monster manual. This week's random monster manual is one I don't... I'm not sure we've ever done this one, actually, which seems peculiar. It's Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. It seems bizarre, but I, I don't think I saw it on the list anywhere of ones we've done before. So Mordenkainen's gets into a couple of different enemy types, but really deep delves and gives us a lot of options. This one, page 186, falls under the drow category. And she is, she's a bit redundant because her name is the Drow Matron Mother. Okay. Drow Matron Mother. I, I thought uh, you were going to uh, say Drow Ma Drow. But... Drow Drow Matron Mommy Mother. The, yeah. <laughs> and every now and then in, in the, on the, the creatures, there is kind of like a, a handwritten note of, of Mordenkainen's notes, basically. And he has on here, the matron mother is a strange title for a cruel tyrant. But given what Drow consider to be a goddess, Lulth, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised. So she's, she's got a lot. She's a level, she's a challenge 20. So she's, she's hefty. So wow. some, some, yeah. a little more info before we get into stats. At the head of each Drow noble house sits a matron mother an influential priestess of Loth charged with carrying out the god's will while also advancing the interests of the family. Matron mothers embody the scheming and treachery associated with the Queen of Spiders. Each stands at the center of a vast conspiratorial web, with demons, drow, spiders, and slaves positioned between them and their enemies. Although matron mothers command great power, that power depends on maintaining the Spider Queen's favor, and the Dark God sometimes capriciously takes back what she has given. The stat block here represents a matron mother at the height of her power, i.e. This, this level 20. Gotcha. So she wears half plate, so her AC is a 17. She has... 262 hit points, which is, is 35d8 plus 105. Jeez. Yeah, she's, I mean, level 20, 35. But that's 35 hit dice, right? So is that, that's yeah. technically level 35, but challenge 20? That's, that's interesting. I never thought to look at that aspect of things in terms of challenge rating versus hit dice. Yeah, good point. Hmm. Hmm. And I, I wonder, I, I wonder how far ago that 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 parallel split from just looking at how many hit dice it has for difficulty to to a specific challenge rating on top of that. She has she has fey ancestry because she's drow. As a drow, she has innate spell casting, so presumably all drow can do this. At will, she can cast Dancing Lights and Detect Magic. Once per day, Clairvoyance, Darkness, Detect Thoughts, Dispel Magic, Fairy Fire, Levitate Self Only, and Suggestion. She has Lolth's Fickle Favor. As a bonus action, the matron can bestow the Spider Queen's Blessing on one ally she can see within 30 feet of her. 
The ally takes 2d6 psychic damage, but has advantage on the next roll it makes until the end of its next turn. She has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. She has sunlight sensitivity, which I believe all drow have. Uh, they get disadvantage on attack rolls and perception checks that rely on sight when they're in sunlight. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna plow through the spell list that they gave her. Cantrips: Guidance, Mending, Resistance, Sacred Flame, Thaumaturgy. First level: Bane, Command, Cure Wounds, Guiding Bolt. Second level: Hold Person, Silence, Spiritual Weapon. Third level: Bestow Curse, Clairvoyance, Dispel Magic, Spirit Guardians. Fourth level: Banishment, Death Ward, Freedom of Movement, Guardian of Faith. Fifth level: Contagion, Flame Strike, Gaius, Mass Cure Wounds. Sixth level: Blade Barrier, Harm. Seventh level: Divine Word, Plane Shift. Eighth level: Holy Aura. Ninth level: Gate. So she is she is fully kitted out. Yeah. Granted, she only she only has one slot for eight and nine, two slots for six and seven, then three 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 all the way down to one, which is four slots. So. But still, I mean, she's she's fully fleshed out. You could pluck this this character off. I've I never, as a DM, I never like to play like really beefy spellcasters because it's it's such a juggle to play a spellcaster as just a spellcaster as a PC. So yeah. to to have all of those things to worry about as well, like that's a lot. I know. On not another D and D podcast, Brian Murphy is actually really good about being able to have a couple of spellcasters going as as enemies, and he's really good about keeping their spells moving, you know, as a variety. But it's it's impressive. It's an impressive feat as as a DM to be able to do that. And I've I've never really pushed myself to try it because it feels very intimidating. Yeah, there's got to be a certain level of organization and just a just an intense level of improvisation to yeah. do that and like you said keep track of everything at the same time mm -hmm. i mean i have no doubt that you could you could do it from a, a creative improv level but yeah there's yeah. a lot of moving pieces right cuz you you got to know every single one of those spells if when i'm playing a sork i'm and and it's not my turn i'm constantly looking at my spells and saying okay i have access to this i can do this no matter how long i've played that sork but you don't have any of that downtime as the dm when 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 the drow matron mother is not going she's being attacked so you as the dm you got to be paying attention to that you can't be like okay maybe i'll cast gaius next hmm you know you can't yeah there's not a 15 minute rp session mid combat yeah you you are you are the leader of the RP session. That's the problem. And yep. when it comes to your turn, it's not like you can be like, "Hey guys, hold on, I got to figure out what the hell's going on." You can't. It's <laughs> no, tough. You, it's so tough. You, you can't do it for sure. But that's where people like you said, like Brian Murphy, is able to. Uh, when he's able to do that, that just shows the chops that he has. Yeah, and maybe there is there there is some editing like they because it's an actual play podcast of course they're going to cut out the math of of adding up all the dice and this and that but it's it's still it, like it it the the editing alone i guess gets the praise because of how seamless it is but he does manage to know what and how to do with his with his casters and so yeah nice she has a couple of attacks she has a demon staff which is just a melee. It has a reach of five feet. 
it is it's it's your standard staff it's got a a one hand option or a two hand option which ups the damage but in addition the target must succeed on a dc 19 wisdom saving throw or become frightened of the drow for one minute the frightened target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns ending the effect on itself on a success wow fear effects are I don't I don't think fear effects are given as much credit as they ought to get. Especially if yeah. it lasts for one minute. I've I've been in a sesh where I don't know if I don't remember if it was me or, or someone else, maybe it was the ranger. They got feared and they ran they had to run all the way down the spiral staircase and they kept biffing their rolls. And if you just got a string of bad rolls, you, you it, it, it takes you out of the fight. It's amazing. Exactly. And what it, really struck me about this particularly was the fact that it's fear of drow. It's not just fear of this lady. Mm. Like you're scared of the race. And presumably you are going to be in an area surrounded by this race for a right. one minute. It's, it, you're, not, you're not fighting just the drow matron mother. Exactly. You know, even if the rests are, even if the rest are just minions and peons, that that's still more drow to be running away from, more drow to be afraid of. That's it. I mean, you're not just scared of her. You're scared of the guy carrying the pee bucket. You're scary. You're yeah, scared right. of the stable boy. Everyone. Yeah. 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 If you if you get bopped with this and you're in the underdark, you're. I don't know if you're if you're that. If you're that surrounded by drow, like how how far do you take it as the DM? Like if if they can't get away, that's fetal position. Do they have to do they have to roll to see if they have a heart attack like a like a rabbit? You know, like an anxi- yeah, an anxiety attack. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. That's hmm. Like that's really bad. That's really rough. Yeah, I like that. Uh, just the the fact, just being afraid of the drow, and you're in the underdark, which is their their domain basically yeah that maybe it, it you know uh, there's claustrophobia that kicks in and just this weird mm-hmm. um you could you could really mess with somebody that's yeah. something that i would hit if somebody was not paying attention during the the session like if they're constantly yeah. on their phone mm-hmm. okay you're now afraid of the drow not yeah. th- not this drow the drow yeah Proper noun, big, big, yeah. big D, capital D, drow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think if it were, if they were like below level five, I would consider the roll to see if you have a heart attack thing. Oh, and maybe a heart attack is just, they start with two death saves instead of three if they drop. Okay. What an interesting way to use that mechanic. Oh, that is, I like that a lot. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that. That is really Brilliant. cool. You 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 cut down on that and maybe there's obviously there's a way for them to get that death save back from a cleric or yeah. something like that in town yeah. but you better uh, hope great to God. restoration just yeah. a, re- a resto spell could pop that off yeah yeah but you better hope to god you do not get you're going to be treading lightly for the rest of the the combat for yeah. sure cuz you yeah. don't want to get to that point but but that being said if they because the drow matron mother is level 20 i don't think i'd hit them so hard with that the idea of because they've made it this far that sure. that they they've obviously got a stronger constitution maybe i would just say 
say say they 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 fail on that fear roll to save three times, maybe even four times, which is a lot of of failures. Hopefully, by then yeah. one of your your players gives you bardic inspiration or guidance or something to to help you with, with that saving roll. But if not, maybe you hit them with a level of exhaustion. You know, something sure. some, because they're they're it's 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 taxing on their body, you know? I think that's a really interesting way to kind of escalate that. You give them a little bit more of a penalty and a little bit more of an onus to, you know, not that they can roll better as I know, a, right? as a ability, but maybe they do petition for bardic inspiration, or maybe they do have inspiration of their own that you gave them earlier that they're holding on to. Yeah. And you're like, okay, now you're exhausted. You might want to use your yeah. inspiration on the next one. Right, right. Maybe they think, okay, I'll just get out of it. I'll roll out of it. And, and then, but, but that ups that ups the stakes a bit more. Exactly. This sounds like a cool mechanic to throw into, what's the Strahd campaign? Oh, Curse of Strahd. Curse of Strahd, right? yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. something like that. Or or like this mythical gargantuan undead campaign that we keep talking about. You know, it's it's if if you're dealing with, with dead stuff and you make it less high fantasy, so so something like this is scarier. So you're you're kind of dabbling in bits of maybe Call of Cthulhu in terms of fear and sanity, something like that. Sure. Yeah, it's it's more Cthulhu Van Helsing than mm -hmm. Lord of the Rings. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or even I had the idea of of if you're doing like a saw style one shot, you know. Oh, okay. That's cool. I like that me. idea. You got me. Yeah. But that's 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 a lot on the DM because most of it's going to be like problem solving and puzzles and stuff. So that's that's a yep. lot of work for the DM to throw that together. But I would play the hell out of that game. That yeah okay now the wheels are turned. <laughs> we got we we need a running list of of ideas that we come up with on this. I know. I have to go back and listen to all of the episodes and start start dictating them. Yeah, she's got one more attack. Oh, okay. my favorite. It's called the tentacle rod. Well, that sounds yes. like we should be changing the rating on this podcast. It is It is the, the hentai drow mother, drow matron yeah. mother. Um, this has a reach of 15 feet, so it's a long tentacle. But a rod, see, the, the demon staff is a staff, so it's presumably like five, six feet. But it's only yep. reach of five. The demon rod, generally a rod's like, what, two or three feet, I believe, like a blasting yeah. rod? But it's got—it's basically a whip, I guess, because it's got a tentacle on the end. Oh, okay. The te all right. I see. I took it the other way. There, there was a tentacle holding the rod. But it's, it, <laughs> <laughs> and it that, just reaches that out. That would be a rod. That'd be a rod tentacle, Matt. <laughs> oh, shit. sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, so so if the target—it's only a D six of bludgeoning damage. For a level okay. for a level twenty, that's nothing. But if the target is hit three times by the rod on a single turn, the target must succeed on a DC fifteen con saving throw or suffer the following effects for one minute. The target's speed is halved, it has disadvantage on dex saving throws, and it can't use reactions. Moreover, on each of its turns, it can either take an action or a bonus action, but not both. 
At the end wow. of each of its turns, it can repeat the saving throw, ending the effect on itself on a success. So it's like exhaustion and slow, and it's a, it's a couple of different things. Wow. So the... And you'd say, how, how would they get hit three times? But the, the, the matron mother has multi-attack where she can make two demon staff attacks or three tentacle rod attacks just in a single, okay. in a single turn. Gotcha. And then she can summon a servant once per day. She can magically summon a retriever, golden, most likely a golden retriever, or a yaklal. The summoned creature appears in an unoccupied space within 60 feet, acts as an ally of its summoner and can't summon other demons. It remains for 10 minutes until it or its summoner dies or until its summoner dismisses it as an action. And then because she's so beefy, because she's such high level creature, she gets legendary actions, which I believe were introduced in 5e, I think. So she's got three legendary action points, basically. For one, she can make one attack with the demon staff. For two... She can cast Compel Demon. An allied demon within 30 feet of the drow uses its reaction to make one attack against a target of the drow's choice that she can see. So basically like a, a, a free hit. Kind of, well, not free, mm -hmm. but... And then finally she can cast a spell which costs one through three of those action points. Basically, the, she can cast a level one, two, or three depending on how many points she wants to cast. Gotcha. And those, those do cost spell slots. So it's not like a free spell. All she's doing is action points. She is using up a spell slot. So presumably, but also remember, she has four slots for one, three for two, three for three. So she does have more of those. But presumably, you're fighting her long enough. You can whittle down her, her spells enough that maybe she's just hitting melee but if she's hitting melee, you have the chance for fear with that staff or the everything for the, the tentacle rod. Yeah, I mean, the bonus is with the tentacle rod, she has to hit you three times. Right. So at least there's there's a little bit less of a chance there. Right. Yeah, I, and being as, as large and, I guess not large, but high level as she is, you would expect this combat to last quite a while. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, I've never I've never I've never fought anything. I've never been up to level 20, so I, I don't know. But I mean, I do listening to the couple actual play podcasts that I do listen to, a party of 3, 4 people, combat lasts 20 minutes, half an hour sometimes, if not more. Yeah. For sure. You know, cuz everybody's got by by that by that point it's not okay, I swing. And if I'm lucky, I get an action surge so I can swing one more time. Like just like her, she's she's attacking two or three times with a single action. A fighter is hitting three times. Then they can pop an action surge if they have ferocious attack or something like that that if they crit they get another attack for free and it just it just adds up. I mean, the fighter in in not another D&D podcast at level 20 was every time he crit he would do another hit. He had three hits. He had like three action or two two action surges or whatever. So every time he, every, for, for a single action, he could be rolling up to eight times with advantage yeah. and this and that. So it's that's crazy. It's just just a fighter, not even a caster, not even anyone too super complex. He's still he's he's still taking 10, 10 minutes a turn sometimes. 
You sure, know? yeah. That's that's the positives and the negatives of high-level mm-hmm. D&D uh, play. Yeah. Yeah, but, but presumably your players are are starting at a lower level so you can you can see that progression and you can get used to the idea of of the build up of actions as opposed to all of a sudden like hey we're going to play a, a level 20 one shot and then everyone's like i don't know what to do here because all all of a sudden i have 90 things i can do as opposed to starting at 5 and then getting more and more exactly yeah so that's that's the bulk you know, that's all of the Drow Matron Mother info. What do you think? I mean, end game, there's there's it's hard to be it's hard to take one of these and be like, oh, I've got a whole campaign for it because we've already we've already reached our end game, you know? Yeah. But she's cool. She's cool for a high level. I think this is one of our, our first really high level critters. I agree. Yeah. I like it when you first started talking about it, what came to mind was very kind of game of thrones where each house has their own basically female matron mother matron mother for lack of a better term like she is the cersei lannister she is Mm -hmm. the sansa stark so that is what immediately came to mind when you were talking about this and i can see that being kind of if you're if you wanted to do kind of a complete underdark like a, a intrigue espionage type thing. I could see you playing different houses against each other That's and doing cool. something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And that the, you know, maybe you face as a PC one or two of these matron mothers, but another one of them is actually your, your matron mother yeah. or just someone hiring you to, to do this. And you want to stay in her good graces. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And maybe the the higher the level you get, you have the, you you catch Lolth's eye for some reason, and you have the opportunity to become one and and basically supplant the one that you are working for because you are you're doing better, something like that. Exactly. So not only are you fighting her enemies, but eventually you are fighting her enemies and scheming against her mm-hmm. to to become you know second in command yeah. the Lolth, basically. Yeah, you're fighting her enemies and you're fighting her minions. You know? Yeah, yeah. F- figure figure out a mechanic to to have followers. You start you start growing your own followers, you know, and and maybe there's there's some level of worker placement or or assigning jobs to some of your 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 minions and your NPCs. That's cool. Yeah, I think and we've talked before about just the the different campaigns, not just yeah. the go go jump in this dungeon and, and kill a bunch of skeletons or rid the graveyard of these ghouls, things like that. Like something mm-hmm. that's more espionage-based or city-based where you're right. doing more than just hack and slash, shooting fireballs. And I think this can take that and add a little bit of a different skin to it so it's not just... You know, the noble court. It is the right. drow noble court, which has a little bit more going for it in certain areas than mm-hmm. just your typical humans. Yeah, because the drow are so ruthless and notoriously ruthless because of Lulth herself. Like they, they yep. base they they always want to be in her favor, and she's just vicious. She's so nasty that that 
that that raises the stakes a bit because you always got to be on your game for for anything. You know, yeah. you, you could be in your matron mother's good graces one minute and she just like Lolth is fickle, she could turn and and kick you into the dungeon or, or, or order to have you killed because you you sneezed into your left elbow instead of your right. You know, exactly. Know. Yeah, this is a perfect avenue to run that much talked about but rarely done uh, villain campaign. Yeah, yeah. And there there is so much to pull from for for just underdark stuff that we've we've only like really really dipped our toes in we've seen a couple yep. of things for underdark but there's a lot in there there's a lot in there there's the hook horror that we've seen there are the the illithids things like that yep that you can get started on not to mention the the sect of drow who are basically anti-drow who follow illustrae who go to the surface and try to change the name of the drow all sorts of stuff for the drow that's really cool and i i i bet i bet even if it's just like a homebrew fanfic you could find something of a game of thrones campaign out there oh sure and then then just reskin it change the names because you've you've got all the intrigue, you've got all the houses, you've got all of that stuff right here. I think I think comparing this to Game of Thrones was brilliant, and and honestly, watch the show and take notes and build your campaign that way. You know, if you can't find a yeah. good resource. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all right there, and I think that's one of the big important points: is pull from everywhere mm. to build your campaign. Don't be afraid to reskin, like you said, and you know you're. Just the fact that it's such a collaborative media, you'll put your own spin on it eventually. Sure. Anyway. So don't be afraid to start at a common point. Yeah. Yeah. And even if even if your players recognize, oh, this sounds a lot like Game of Thrones or something like that, that should be exciting to them. That should be, okay, I, I know what Game of Thrones is I know what to expect with Game of Thrones. I know that there's intrigue. I know there's house fighting. There's house infighting, things like that. That should not be, oh, we're playing Game of Thrones. It should be, oh, this is the kind of game we have lined up for us. Exactly. Because yeah, you're, 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 not, you're not railroading them as like, well, this character is clearly, clearly Sansa. So, so her story is going to go exactly like this. They have that choice. They have all sorts of choice in there. So they, they cannot play the exact game that is Game of Thrones. Exactly. And they're playing their game. That's the, the best part of this. Mm -hmm. The other stuff is maybe going on in the background where you're hitting certain benchmarks either as they level up or as they do certain things within the actual game itself. You may get to a certain point in the Game of Thrones saga, so to speak, that you're like, okay, well, now this is when they would probably do this or this, mm -hmm. or this is when the dragons are coming, or so on or so forth. But it is ultimately their tale to tell. Yeah. And if they do see the, the Sansa character, it will just be in snippets from the sideline. It's yeah. not, you know, they're, no one's playing her, no one's playing Jon Snow. It's just... Yeah. They are they're NPCs skinned as blue skinned drow. Yeah, and that's that's another thing is is the the books 
chapter five is from one person's perspective, chapter six is from another, chapter seven is from another, but those three chapters are happening at the exact same time time on the timeline. So you know how people's actions are affecting other people, but for your players, they're only seeing that one perspective of their party. So they don't know the machinations going on. They don't know what their actions are doing to to spin what gears and affect their decisions and their consequences further down the line. So that's that's the beauty of that intrigue is is you need to know what kind of Rube Goldberg machine you have set up saying, okay, if they make this choice, this happens or this this happens. And it's it's a lot of work. I know we we a lot of the times we say this is going to be a really big like beefy campaign. It's going to take a lot of work. But to have like almost a decision tree in mind for for some of these really crucial pinpoints, these stepping points, that's a really cool way to set it up. And basically for you to have documented what can or, or will happen so you don't have to keep it all in your mind, you know? I agree. Yeah, you need that that visual representation to keep everything kind of moving forward. That way you can look at it pre-session and say, okay, well, they're at this stage of the game. Mm-hmm. If they do this, we do this. If they do this, we do that. Yeah. And so you're not fumbling in the moment where they make a pretty crucial decision and you're just sitting there trying to figure out what happens. Yeah. Or trying to recall what happens. No, you just bring up the, yeah. the Word document or whatever and say, okay, they did this. All right, this is... We turn to page seven in the choose your own adventure book at that point. Yeah, yeah, and it, it allows you to. And I, I, I'm very, I'm very pro improvising and and reacting on your feet as a DM. But for something that is so intertwined, it's it, it would be really important to have those moments. Otherwise, I think it may be a bit lacking in the end. You have to have benchmark moments. Yeah. I think regardless, you should probably have benchmark moments regardless of what your, how you're going to play the story anyway. Sure. Whether it's goals or certain objectives to meet something like that, which is the same thing as a goal. So that's there you go. <laughs> correct. Um, but you should have that kind of stuff mapped out. And if they bypass it, they bypass it. That's, right. that's part of being a DM, but the, the meat of it, is your improv and your your style that you bring mm. to the table but as soon as they they come near and they hit these benchmarks that's that's where you know you can veer left instead of right yeah and i just i just imagine as the dm at the the wrap up meetup sesh after the game is done you've you've completed this entire campaign you present a a framed copy of this decision tree basically with handwritten notes in here you circle this part or you scratch off this part or you you handwrite an entire new line saying oh they actually decided to to do this which i didn't plan for something like that you give each one of your players one of those to really remember that and they get to see what they missed what could have happened that's that's really that's that is the extra mile for a dm to do that for their players but and it's a it's a long term investment, but that's really cool to think about. It, for me, getting that at the end of the game, like I I would I'd probably weep. Like that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, and that 
I don't think there are many players out there that don't that take it for granted the amount of work a DM puts in. But for them to see that at the end of a campaign really kind of drives that point home. Yeah. Like, oh, I get it. Well, you have like four stories going on back here, and we only touched on one. That that kind of stuff. Presumably, once you get to the end of a campaign, you're you're cemented as a group anyway. But mm-hmm. that is the kind of stuff that brings them back for the next one. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, I like that idea a lot. I want everyone to do that for their players. Yep. So Set I was a copy too. Yep. Yeah. That we'll put it on. So I was going to say tentacle rods for this, but you came up with a better idea of rod tentacles. Matt, how many, <laughs> how many rod tentacles would you give the drow matron mother? First of all, rod tentacle sounds like the name of just a really weird salesman. <laughs> it is it is the Rod Stewart equivalent in the the Cthulhu universe. <laughs> Murder. <laughs> All right. Oh man. We started I started out thinking this wouldn't be so good, but we really did build a campaign around it. You came up with a really good idea. Yeah, I would she's they're very high level. They're pain to play as a as a dm we've established that with all the spells and all that kind of stuff if you were actually fighting them Mm -hmm. but but we we've never come up with the the really the game of thrones campaign idea until we saw her until we saw the matron mother so and we've honestly never really hit on a on a concrete that play the bad guys Right, like, this yeah. is how you play the bad mm-hmm. guys. So I'm giving her a nine. Yeah, I'd, I'd put her up there for sure. I like that a lot. Nine rod tentacles. Nine rod tentacles. Nine rod tentacles for the drow matron mother. Thank you so much for listening to Random Encounters. Drop us a note. Drop us a question. Hit us up, momes at fecklessmomes.com or head on over to fecklessmomes.com and peruse our pages. We have a contact us right on the front page there. Thanks so much for listening again. We really appreciate it. We genuinely, genuinely do. We, I want to say we don't do this for ourselves, but I really enjoy doing this for ourselves. But it also is great to to know that people are listening and subscribed and and, uh, and and enjoy our content. We, we appreciate that. We like that. So tell all your other nerd friends who aren't listening. And we will come back next week and talk to you and them. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Hey, Random Encounters is a proud member of the Feckless Momes Audio Network.